What's up, guys? Happy April Fools! There's a five-day holiday in here in Taiwan now, and since we just finished the big exams in junior high, we are living in a dream right now. During these five days, we've been hanging out with friends every single day. I call it a hangout streak. The first day, we got together with Dad's college friends. I was great friends with Dad's friend's daughter, but we hadn't met in say five years. I've known her ever since we were born, but because we don't live very close, we seldom get together. In addition, the pandemic kept us apart for a long time. After such a long while, it was naturally a little awkward for us at the start, but soon it was back to normal. The second day, I hung out with my classmates. We celebrated one of our friends' birthday, which is April Fools, and went to a board game store where you know you play all kinds of board games. It was a lot of fun since it was an unusual activity, and it was interesting to try something new. The third day, we picnicked with mom's friends. There wasn't really much to do for us kids since we just picnicked in a large park and the adults were talking way too much, so we decided to check out the playground. There was a warning sign on the equipment telling the parents to watch out for their kids, and something about falling may cause immense injury or death. So we decided to give the playground a delicate and very accurate name: the Death Zone. There were eight airplanes flying all, flying over our heads around the area. So we called the deafening sound of the planes the sound of death. Also, there were a lot of little kids screaming, and I don't have to explain how that relates to death. The death zone caused me a lot of injuries as well. Is it just me, or does everyone think playgrounds are extremely dangerous? I tried the slide the other day, and for a fourteen-year-old girl, it was incredibly terrifying. I mean, it goes so damn fast, and you're totally unprepared because you think it's supposed to be for little kids. So, for those who haven't tried slides in a while, do not try it. The fourth day, Emily played escape room with her friend who transferred to another school. And today, we're going to go tomb sweeping with our cousin. This is without doubt the most fulfilling holiday that anyone could offer. Dumbarton by Ginger Juan. It was roughly seven months ago, the day I'll always remember as the last day. It was the last day that I would ever see my parents again, but I didn't know that. I woke up to the rustling of the room next to mine, my parents' bedroom. They were busy getting ready for their week-long cruise. I slid my feet into my slop. Floppy slippers and walked to my parents' room in my pajamas. Their suitcases filled the room, and there was barely space for me to stand. It's just a week, guys. There's no need for this much luggage. I told them. Oh, morning, Avery," said my dad. Only then did they realize my presence. Your mother and I need to be ready for anything. Who knows what can happen during a week-long cruise? My mom nodded, tucking strands of hair behind her ear. We're running out of time. The boat leaves in. She glanced at her watch. Twenty minutes. I laughed. I had never seen them so paranoid before. I jumped down the stairs two at a time. 
there was only a sandwich on a plate and a glass of orange juice on the dining table. I sat down and picked up my sandwich. When I was halfway done with it, my parents hurried down the stairs, carrying several suitcases. My dad had a red cap on, but it wasn't enough to cover his curly brown hair. Can I come with you? I asked, my my voice muffled by the sandwich in my mouth. Sorry, sweetie, but you can't, Mom said, handing Dad a bag for him to take to the car. Do you want to come to the dock with us and watch the boat leave? I think it'll be pretty awesome. I smiled, swallowing the mouthful. Sure. I helped them get the rest of the luggage to the car and Dad started the engine. I sat on a suitcase because the back seat was full. The car started moving forward and picked up speed, heading toward the dock. It wasn't far away. We arrived 15 minutes later. There was the ship, bobbing around in the water. Several people were already boarding. My parents unloaded their belongings and I walked them to the ship. Stay safe, Avery. Don't do anything stupid, my mom said, hugging me tightly. We'll be back soon, Dad said, but it wasn't to be. They took their things to the boat and waved at me. I waved back. They'll be back soon, I told myself. The thought of having to spend seven days alone made me a little scared. They'll be back soon. The boat started forward, moving slowly. I watched them, eyes on my parents, who were still waving at me. I watched until they were too small to see. They'll be back soon, but that never happened. They never came back. The ship exploded. Chapter 1 The water was churning. The passengers on the boat were screaming. Rain was pouring down. A deafening clap of thunder pierced through the air, and one of the passengers lost his balance and plunged headfirst into the ocean. Monica left the book open on her lap and gestured with her hands, imitating the sound of the water and the screaming of the passengers. The candlelight glistened on her pale face, casting shadows in her, under her nose and on her eyes behind her glasses. She quickly pushed at her glasses and fixed her gaze back on the book. Luckily, a brave hero dove into the water and saved him. I pulled my thin blanket over myself and dropped my head in my hands. Monica let, glanced at the door and continued reading. The hero looked around the boat for any kind of weapons, but there was nothing he could use. So he grabbed a stone sitting on the deck and heaved it against the floor, smashing it into smithereens. Everybody gasped, and I bit my lower lip. Monica paused for a moment. Then her voice became a whisper. The hero took a sharp piece of the stone and hurled it at the sea monster. Her voice rose again in agitation. The stone pierced through the sea monster's chest and he roared in pain. He was furious, but then the door swung open and the lights flickered on. I quickly blew out the candle and buried my face in my blanket. Monica stopped reading. She dropped down on her stomach and hid the book under her. She quietly set her glasses next to the blown-out candle. The others rolled to their sleeping position and pretended to be asleep. 
Mrs. Merriam stepped inside, hands on hips, glaring at us. The usual scowl on her face, like it was carved into it. She was in her pink pajamas. It seemed cozy and warm. I had been longing for some warm pajamas ever since winter arrived. I shivered. It was freezing. Monica, were you telling stories at nighttime again? She bellowed. Everybody yawned and acted as if they were woken by Mrs. Merriam. I stretched and peered at her. Monica sat up, sat up on her bed and wrapped her blankets around her, hugging her pillow tightly. Pardon? She said sleepily, acting like she was confused. Were you telling stories at nighttime again? Mrs. Merriam said sternly, her legs apart, scowling at Monica. I wasn't telling stories, I swear, Mrs. Merriam. We were all asleep until you came in and woke us up. Monica wasn't telling stories, Caleb said. He wasn't a good actor. His voice was raspy as usual and didn't sound sleepy at all. Caleb was the second biggest fan of Monica's stories. I was her biggest fan. Mary- Mrs. Marion walked closer to Monica's bed. Each step she took made my heart race faster. I didn't want to see Monica get into trouble. Her stories were always the best. The candle had been burning, Mrs. Merriam said. She waved her hand, motioning for Monica to get up. Monica sighed and crawled out of the bed. Mrs. Merriam picked up the book Monica was reading. The ancient stories about sea monsters. She flipped to the first page. The pages were yellow and the edges were ripped a little. Black and white pictures of the sea monster printed on each page. The enmity. A sea monster that leaves, lives in the Pacific Ocean. Some say he's a different. He is from a different planet, a planet called Dumborton, but no one is exactly sure. This is rubbish. Several children gasped when they heard Mrs. Merriam call the book rubbish. I gritted my teeth. How dare she criticize it like that? Mrs. Merriam, the enmity is real. I told her he is probably resting underwater now. We all believe in his existence. Mrs. Merriam raised her hand to silence me. My mouth hung open, but I didn't let the words I really wanted to say spew out. It, Avery, not he, and it does not exist. She corrected me. Now I want you all to sleep tight. No more storytelling about pathetic and unreal sea monsters. But Mrs. Merriam shushed me again. I sighed heavily and lowered my head. Remember, children, Mr. and Mrs. Keller from the child care agency are visiting tomorrow. I want you all to look healthy and happy. Do you understand? I nodded, but I didn't think her method was right. Instead of actually treating us well, she made us act like we were happy at this. At this orphanage, she wasn't a bad person, but I thought Mrs. Merriam didn't give us the care that we deserved. I wondered if Mr. and Mrs. Keller were going to be pleased by how Mrs. Merriam was really treating us. Mrs. Merriam turned off the lights and gave an unpleasant grunt as she shut the door behind her. There was silence for a while. We didn't make a sound because we knew she was still out there listening for one of us to speak again, but we didn't. 
Finally, there was the sound of her footsteps, her expensive shoes thudding against the wooden floor. It grew quieter and quieter. Mrs. Merriam left. As soon as we couldn't hear her footsteps anymore, I lit the candle again and it started burning. Monica shoved her glasses onto her face and flipped her book open, continuing to read. This time softly, so Mrs. Merriam wouldn't hear her. The sea monster, known as the Enmity, roared in pain as the sharp stone cut through his chest like a knife. She thrusted her hands up in the air and quietly imitated the monster's thunderous howl. We all laughed. Monica was hilarious. The door opened again. Mrs. Merriam's face was twisted into a frown. I didn't have time to blow out the candle this time. She caught me in the act. Monica didn't bother hiding the book again. Without a word, Mrs. Merriam held out her hand and Monica handed her the book. I'm keeping this. Nobody is allowed to touch it, she said harshly and blew the candle out. She walked, clo- she walked toward the door and closed it behind her. I saw Monica's glum expression and felt the same way. We all really wanted to know what happened to the enmity and the passengers on the boat, but we might never know the ending. The thought made a disappointed sigh escape my mouth. I don't feel like sleeping. I can't stop thinking about the enmity, Caleb said. I can't either, a boy replied. I couldn't tell which boy. They all sounded very much the same to me, especially in the dark. Caleb's voice was the only one I could recognize. His was scratchy and rough, like he was always sick. There was silence. The chirping of the crickets outside grew louder. The shabby curtains flapped in the wind, and the moonlight shone inside every once in a while, like just like neon lights, appearing and disappearing. A cool breeze swept over me and my teeth chattered. I shuffled to a lying position and pulled the paper-thin quilt to my chin, staring up at the blank ceiling. When do you think Mrs. Merriam will stop going so hard on me? I asked. Monica rolled to her side to face me. What do you mean? She asked. Well, you know that she's only... I know that she's not only only not letting you tell the stories because I'm here. It's all because of my existence, I said. No, she never let Monica tell stories. This started long before you came here, a boy said. I've always wished that she would change, but the woman is stiff as a plank. She won't budge. I closed my eyes, listening listening to the other's conversation. Monica started talking about her first day here at the Orenstire Orphanage, the one and only orphanage in Orenstire. Mrs. Merriam gave us dried berries and cheese for lunch. I think the cheese was rotten, if I recall correctly, she said. Sometimes I think the food here is even worse than I was homeless. Some Some kids laughed, but it was true. The food here was awful. Monica and the other's voice began to fade away. I was drifting off to sleep. It had been six months since I came to this orphanage, but I still remembered the first day like it just happened yesterday. It was a dark and stormy night. A man wearing a suit and tie was walking beside me. He carried an umbrella in his hand, but my hair was still wet. 
The umbrella didn't cover any part of me, and I was soaking wet. I didn't know the man. My hands were sore from carrying my heavy suitcase, although there weren't many things in it. We arrived at the old house sitting on the side of the street. Gigantic letters on it said, Ornstire Orphanage. We walked across the lawn into the front porch. I dragged my feet up the short flight of, flight of stairs. It took me every ounce of strength I had to do so. The eaves stopped the rain from drenching me, but my hair was still dripping. The man closed his umbrella and knocked on the door. There was no doorbell. I remembered clearly because his hands was also dripping with water, and he left a wet mark on the wooden door, which soon vanished. Mrs. Merriam's footsteps approached, and she answered the door shortly after. The man introduced me to her. This is Avery Gray. I expect you to take good care of her, she said. I saw some children peeking behind Mrs. Merriam in the dining room, their feet dangling from the chairs. The ones who were eating had disgusted looks on their faces. The girl with the straight black hair and wearing glasses waved at me and gave me a friendly smile. I could see that one of her teeth was missing. You don't have to worry about that, sir, Mrs. Merriam said. I will take care of this child. She gave the man a reassuring nod and left me, led me into the house. The man gave me one last glance, opened his umbrella, and walked away. Mrs. Merriam and I watched him leave, and she closed the door. As she turned back to me, her kind smile turned into a scowl. She gave me a dirty look. You're dripping all over the floor, she barked. Go upstairs. I want you to change into clean clothes and dry your hair. Be down in ten minutes. Dinner time ends soon. I opened my mouth to speak, but she walked away quickly and disappeared into the room next to the kitchen. I found that scare I found the staircase and walked up to the second floor. Another another flight of stairs led up to the third floor, but I couldn't see what was up there. The second floor was dark and the lights were all out. I wouldn't be able to see if the lights downstairs weren't on. The floorboards creaked under my feet. I walked down the hall and found a half-open door. I turned around as I heard stomping footsteps on the outside grounds. The girl who waved at me earlier was running up the stairs to me. Hi, I'm Monica, she greeted. You're Avery, right? I nodded. Something about her made me feel a little better. Are you French? Judging by your name. Avery is French, right? No, it's both a French and English name. My parents just liked its meaning, I replied. At least, they did. Monica nodded. I'm sorry to hear that. She pushed the door all the way open and walked inside, turning on the lights. Even with the lights on, the room was... Even with the lights on, the room was dim, but bright enough for me to see what was inside. Two rows of worn-out beds. On each bed was a blanket that didn't look very comfortable. That's your bed, Monica said, pointing at the third one counting from the left. The one next to mine. I thanked her and put my luggage down beside my bed. It made a loud thud as it hit the ground. I flopped down onto my bed. It was hard and I feared that it was going to collapse any second, since it looked very old. 
Can you show me where the shower is? I asked. Just turn left and go to the end of the hall. You'll find it there. Thanks. I started toward the door, but stopped. I don't have any spare clothes. Monica hurried over to her bed and handed me a yellow t-shirt and navy blue shorts. The shirt was plain and looked cheap, but I didn't mind at all. I said goodbye and rushed out of the room, turned left and dashed toward the shower, leaving a wet trail behind me. I felt the warm water, water running down my body. I hadn't felt so good for a very long time. I turned the heat all the way up and heard Mrs. Miriam yelling at the children downstairs. I didn't ever want to get out of the shower. I just wanted to keep standing there, feeling the warm water pouring against my face. But eventually someone knocked on the bathroom door. I stepped out of the shower and put the t-shirt and shorts on Monica gave me and walked outside. A girl I didn't know went in after I left. I dried my brown hair and pulled it into a ponytail. Everyone was already in the bedroom. You missed dinner time, a boy told me. Mrs. Miriam might not give you food tonight, no matter how hard you try. I opened my mouth to speak, but another boy interrupted me. It doesn't matter. The food is awful. You wouldn't want to taste it. Thanks for the warning. I sighed and laid down on my bed. Now that I was clean and dry, the bed felt even harder. It was summer and the room was hot and humid. I kicked my blanket to the edge of the bed and set my bare feet on it. The clock on the wall said 10.29, but I wasn't sure if it, it even worked anymore. Mrs. Marianne came to the door. Her expression was unfriendly. Time for bed, she said. Monica, no storytelling. She flicked off the lights and the room was dark. A clap of thunder lit up the room and vanished again. Darkness. Silence. I woke up still thinking about the enmity. Monica made it sound so real and terrifying. I was sure everybody else was thinking about it as well. The others were still asleep, or maybe they were just lying there like I was daydreaming. The clock read 8.20, still 10 minutes until breakfast time. Mrs. Miriam took our daily routines very seriously. She always said that there must be zero delays in order to keep the schedule. I tilted my head to the side and looked at Monica. Her glasses lay next to the candle. Dried wax had been tri dripping down the side of it. She didn't really need glasses, but still used them at nighttime because the lights were dim, especially when there was just a candle lighting up the room. I missed her stories already. For the remaining 10 minutes, I just laid there and waited, thinking about nothing, staring at the bare walls. Soon, Mrs. Marion finally showed up at the door at exactly 8.30. I followed the others down the stairs to the dining room. Breakfast was the usual, plain toast with half a glass of milk. Back when I lived home with my parents, I hated the crust off the bread and always cut it off. But now at the Orange Star Orphanage, I was grateful that the toast wouldn't, wasn't stale. 
Mrs. Marion often gave us spoiled milk, and sooner or later our bodies got used to it, and we wouldn't feel anything if, even if we ate a huge amount of spoiled food. But today it was different. Mrs. Marion gave us fresh toasts, and the milk smelled rich and warm. I walked closer to the table, and the aroma of butter assailed my nostrils. I gave Monica a suspicious glance and sat down across from her. There was butter on my toast. The usual milk seemed to be brown today. It was chocolate milk, and two marshmallows were floating in the middle of my glass. An extra bowl of nuts and berries sat next to my glass. I could not believe my eyes. Everyone else seemed to be as surprised as I was. Had Mrs. Miriam finally realized that she was being mean to us and decided to change the way she treated us, she appeared from the kitchen, wiping her hands on her apron. Her hair was tied into a bun as usual, but she was wearing a nice dress that I had never seen her wear before. She saw us all staring at her wide-eyed gazes, and Mrs. Miriam became her old self again. What are you all looking at? She snapped. Eat! They'll be here any minute. You must look well fed. I was confused, but picked up my toast and started eating. The butter melted the second it touched my tongue. It was the best meal I had ever had since I came to this place. As I wrapped my hands around the glass of warm chocolate milk, I wished that this would last forever. But unfortunately, it didn't. Someone knocked on the front door, and Mrs. Merriam jumped up. She rushed to the door and looked out the peephole. Good lord, they're here, she cried, straightening her dress. It was sage green. The collar was white, and so were the laces around the rim of the dress. There were four brown buttons down the middle of it, in front of her chest, and two lateral pockets, which appeared to be full. I didn't know what was inside of her pockets. The dress reached down to her feet and covered her heels entirely. Remember, you are healthy and happy. She pulled her bun tighter. Without another word, she pulled the door open. A bright smile spread across her face. Her smile was so big I could see all her teeth and wrinkles covered her face. I saw a woman and a man in suits and ties standing on the doorsteps, both holding clipboards in their hands. Well, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Keller. It is my pleasure to have you visit. I suddenly remembered. Mr. and Mrs. Keller from the childcare agency were coming today. That was why Mrs. Miriam gave a special breakfast. I sat down. I sank down into my chair. There was a cushion on it, which I swear was not there yesterday. I looked around the dining room. Pictures of happy children that weren't us hung on the wall, and the curtains were new. The windows were carefully polished, and the floors were mopped and waxed. It was like Mrs. Mrs. Miriam had repaired the house just for Mr. and Mrs. Keller's visit. They both gave Mrs. Miriam a handshake. Let us not waste time, Mrs. Keller said. Her expression was serious, like she had never had fun before. We have a lot of work to do. Indeed, Mr. Keller agreed. Ma'am, would you mind showing us around? Mrs. Miriam seemed to be displeased that the two didn't appreciate her friendliness. 
but she still forced a smile and nodded. No problem, sir. Please come with me. We watched the three of them walk up the stairs to the second floor. As soon as they went out of sight, we turned back and gobbled down our food like we hadn't eaten in centuries. How do we handle this situation? A girl asked. If Mr. and Mrs. Keller only see the good side of this orphanage and Mr. Mer- Mrs. Merriam, they wouldn't do anything about her being so horrible to us. That is a problem, Caleb said. He had a milk mustache and he wiped it clean with his sleeve. There are two options. We wreck this place before they come downstairs and pretend like we didn't. That way Mr. and Mrs. Keller will think that the place we live in is too dirty and messy. Or somebody needs to tell the Kellers that Mrs. Miriam is just putting on a show for them. I gulped. Both options seem to be dangerous for us. Mrs. Miriam would kill us if we tried to sabotage her plan. But what if we succeeded? Would the Ornstar orphanage just be shut down and we'd get transferred? Though Mrs. Merriam was mean and nasty, I didn't want to leave my friends. I say we go for plan A, and if it doesn't work, we go for plan B, Monica suggested. Agreed? I nodded my head. I trusted my friend. But who wants to talk to the Kellers? A girl pointed out. Nobody volunteered. Monica sighed. Everyone, give me our straws, he said. Let's draw straws. I picked up my straw, licked the chocolate milk clean, and gave it to her. Monica gathered all of the straws, went into the kitchen, and we heard a snap as she cut one of them. She came out and told us to pick a straw. I leaned forward and drew a straw out from her hands. It was short, shorter than the others. Everyone stared at my straw. I needed to go talk to the killers.